0: Thank you, Connor. Well, it's kind of a, it is is kind of a different experience as we kind of look at this whole thing. You know, uh, back in the day, We wouldn't have had church, and we would have waited till next week, and now what do we do? We get to sit around our living room, pull it up on our TV, the kitchen counter, sit at our desk, and we pull it up online, and we look at the message online, and it's really kind of cool how technology has allowed us to shift and and do new things, so it's really, really kind of cool. One of the things I would encourage you to think about as well, I've talked about this a little bit in the past, but it's it's a website That's uh, sponsored by Answers in Genesis, and it's Answers TV, and it's inexpensive, but as we are spending time going through and looking at Genesis, I would encourage you to potentially take advantage of this kind of resource. So again, we talk about the coolness of, we're doing a live service, no one's here, but we can still do a live service so that... Everyone can still be connected and engaged, and we can spend time in the Word together in the morning. Really kind of cool. But again, the other things that are really cool is that there are some phenomenal resources at our disposal that we can take advantage of. And Answers TV is one of those things. So as we're taking time going through Genesis, this could be a great resource for you as well as we spend some time doing all of that. Now we're picking up today in the middle of chapter, or middle of day six, so the last couple of weeks we've looked at days one through six and a half, and so we're going to pick that up a little bit more, but I just want to remind you there are some real important things that we've talked about. So we've talked about issues of kind, we've talked about issues of day, we've talked about the fact that God is the creator, and we've talked about the fact that it's the very first words of of scripture, in the beginning God created is where people will struggle, they'll wrestle, they'll have a real challenge with what's going on in scripture, but then with all of that is the whole tension between God who is specific God versus God who is generic God. God. And so we'll unpack unpack some more of those things today and we'll look more of those things a little bit today. But this morning what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to go into and kind of read through the end of chapter one and I would like to read through chapter two. Now as we do this, you're going to kind of revisit some of the things that God took place. And what I want you to recognize as we're reading this, we're still in day 6, but now some of what's taking place in chapter 2 is God is specifically talking about what he is doing in the Garden of Eden as he's creating a place for Adam and Eve to live. So let's walk through this. Let's look at the scriptures together. We'll start in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll go through chapter... Chapter 1, verse 26 through verse, through chapter 2. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the ground. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all of the wildlife of the earth, for every bird in the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, and everything living... Having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Then God saw all that he had made, and it was... Here's one of the things I want you to notice that's going on. It's a little bit different. It is now very good indeed. I just want to land on that real quick for a second. But everything, But evening and morning came then the sixth day. As we look at this, I just want to come back and revisit. Everything was not, I would say perfect i.e. it's reached its ideal no other change should ever take place i think when i think of perfection that's kind of what i think of perfection it's it's reached the pinnacle it's reached exactly it couldn't be anything better when i think of what god is doing in creation he is creating something that has the capacity to grow that has the capacity to adapt and and he has created something that's exceptional amazing it's very good But it also has the potential for growth and development. We go on in chapter 2. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all the work of creation it continues and says these are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation at the time that the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord had not made it rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground we're talking I think specifically now in the area where the garden of Eden is going to be but mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground morning guys Formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out from Eden and watered the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first river is the Pishon, which flows through the entire land at Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from the land is, is pure uh, Belgium and Onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which runs east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it, and the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from the t- from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at the place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Pause for a second as we look at all of this. One of the things I want you to recognize and understand is everything else was created and formed out of what God had created in the very beginning. Eve was not. Eve was created and formed out of what was taken from Adam. This, was, this is why man leaves his father and mother and, and, is, and, is bound, and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and the wife were naked, and they felt no shame. As we walk through things this morning and as we kind of look at the verses that are in front of us, one of the things I would like us to do is we're going to kind of hit on four key points and four key themes as we're walking through Genesis in in these verses today. One of the things I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, if you have your phone, you have a tablet, I would encourage you to kind of pull up Genesis, the end of chapter 1 and verse 2. And so as I kind of start to walk through, you can kind of start to reference, and as I reference some of those areas, I would encourage you to kind of look at that. We're going to take a few moments to look at some specific verses, but then we're going to just kind of pour into some of the general themes and ideas of what is coming out of Genesis 1, the end of Genesis 1, and going into Genesis 2. So let's kind of go back to that a little bit and 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 look at that. So, first of all, thing, one of the things I want you to see is the language let us. And we see that in Genesis 1 verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And the rest of the verse continues. But I want you to focus in and see these specific words right now. Plural. We talked about this, I I think, uh, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and we talked about the plurality of God, and we talked about the whole idea and whole issue of the Trinity. We We referenced a number of verses in week one, and we talked about how the Holy Spirit, this is the Spirit of God, hovered over creation. We talked about how God created. We talked, we read from the New Testament, said how Jesus created. And what I want to bring you back to again is this language here, God uses plural language. And he doesn't explain it a whole lot more. He doesn't expand on that a whole lot more, but he just uses that plural language. And a number of people say, well, who is the us? And some people say, well, we're talking about the heavenly host in heaven. Some people say we're talking about God, and he's talking about someone else that's there with him. And I would disagree with that. I think God is talking about himself. And the reason I say that is because of what we see then that takes place in verse 27. And it says, so God created man in his own image he created him in the image of God he created them male and female and what I want you to see what I want you to understand is that God created we are created in the image of God we're not created in the image of God and angels we're not created in the image of God plus something else we're created in the image of God and I think that's really key so I I don't want to land on this too heavy or too long, but what I want you to understand is that even in the beginning part of Genesis, we see an indication, a hint, that there's more to God than what we are initially thinking He is. And this is where even the seeds of the understanding of the Trinity nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is sown. We don't fully understand it yet. It's not unpacked yet. And that's one of the interesting things about walking through Genesis 1, Genesis 2. You're not given a lot of detail. You're given a bird's eye view. We're not going down into the nitty-gritty of, of aspects of creation. We're not going into the, the hows and the, and the whys and how everything fits and, and all the, the fine detail. Bird's eye view. But even in this process, God is giving a hint um, about who he is. But let's go on. As we look at verse 6, or or day 6, we see some additional things, and and I'll just ask this question, so we see that in in the notes, what do you learn about man from day 6? And there's a number of things that we do learn about man from day 6, and so just track with me as we walk through this, and as we kind of process a lot of information as we walk through. First of all, I want you to recognize that man is unique and distinct from all of creation. Man is unique and distinct. Why? Because man was created in the image of God. Nothing else in creation was talked about that way. Nothing else. The only thing that was created in the image of God was Adam and Eve. That's, for me, that's really, really huge. So nothing else was made a living being, i.e. that had the breath of life breathed into it, that recognized the difference between good and evil. Nothing else. I've always had pets throughout my life. I've enjoyed my pets. But they're distinct from us. They don't really understand good and evil. They, they don't think too far down the, low, down the road. They're distinct and different from us. Or should I say we are distinct and different from them. Nothing else was created in the image of God. And there's, there's another big point for me here that really stands out. God created the human race, not many races. So as a kid growing up, we used to sing that song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves little children of the world. And that's, that's kind of a cool song, interesting song, I think a very true song. Now for me, all of those colors are represented in my immediate family. So I have adopted sisters. I have adopted sons. All of those colors are represented there. And my whole life, I would be asked, list your race, list your race, list your race. And i got to be honest with you. It has annoyed me, all of my wife. You can talk to Joan about this. We're married 30, 30 plus years at this point, a long time. Our whole married life, She's watched me do this. And I will always write down human, if I have the chance. I won't write Caucasian, I won't write something else. I'll write human. Why? Because I I just, even in in the midst of all that, I look at my family. There's nothing distinctly different as far as humanness is between my my siblings or my sons and me. Nothing. Now, our hair might be different. Our skin color might be slightly different. There might be differences in height and shape, but we're still human. And what I want you to understand is that as God created, God didn't create many, many, many different races. He created one race, the human race. We make a lot of distinction in our culture about race. And yet, when we look in the creation account, there's one race. Not many. Now we have many cultures. We have many world views. Now, the differences in cultures are great. It brings variety and and all sorts of fun different things into life. And we enjoy that, particularly in America, because we love to go to all sorts of different ethnic areas to eat. But there's one race. The human race. Now here's the next thing I want you to see. God created gender. He created them male and female. So as we talk about gender, I want to come back and identify that it's binary. It's not fluid. In our culture today, we wrestle with this whole conversation. We wrestle with the whole debate. Is gender fluid? Is it two genders, three genders, five genders, 15 genders? What's going on? When we look at the creation account... God created man and woman, male and female. Gender is not fluid. It is not evolving. So again, part of the whole tension, part of the whole conversation that we wrestle with in our in this whole thing, is evolution true? If evolution is true, then gender could be fluid. We don't know what the starting point is, and we really don't know what the ending point is. But if evolution is not true, if God is the one who created, and God created male and female, and gender is binary how about this next one God created mankind as heterosexual not homosexual so again when you look at the creation account and you look at God creating and God placing Adam in the garden and he brings all the animals and he shows them all the things that are there and he walks them all through Adam was seeing that he was alone And he was looking for something that was suitable for him or compatible with him. And God, I think, was doing this intentionally. So as Adam saw his need and saw his aloneness and his need for a companion, God created. And God created a companion for Adam. He created a woman for Adam. He did not create another man. So as we look at that whole process of the creation Record and, and what took place in the creation record. I think it's the, it's clear. It stands out that God created the heterosexual environment. He did not create a homosexual lesbian environment. So something goes on here that I think is kind of interesting. We've been we've been having some conversation online. I haven't. I've been listening to a conversation that's going online, in particular dealing with the furry community. So, as you kind of process through the whole furry community, a mom was communicating online, I'm shocked. Do you realize that people go to school dressed this way? And, and they had that whole conversation. And so, out of that, came a conversation in particular about a one person that would go to school who identifies as a cat, and they'll kind of wear cat ears or that kind of stuff as they go to school. And because they identify as a cat, as they go to school, they don't have to talk. And so they don't have to answer questions in class and other kind of stuff. And the school accommodates that. Now, as we wrestle through this whole thing, there we could have all sorts of reactions. We could fund, we could ridicule, or we also can look at the reality that people are wrestling with real questions about identity. So as we come back to this whole conversation, this is also the issue that really kind of rolls into the whole conversation about gender. It's the whole issue that renders, enters into the conversation about is, is, are we only dealing with a heterosexual environment or is there something else that's going on? Why? Because people are choosing to identify in other ways. When you come back to scripture and you start to look at the creation account, what's going on? We're not animals. We haven't evolved from animals. We are created. We're unique and distinct. So as we start to wrestle through the creation process and look at the creation process, we look at our world that has a different foundation, an evolution worldview, and so they look at the whole evolution process. So the whole argument of identity flows from an evolution worldview because you can still harken back, you can still identify with, because we're talking about a different starting point. But when you come to the biblical starting point that God created... We, we have a very different point where there is not the ability to identify as. We may enjoy, but we don't identify as one thing or another. Why? Because God made us unique. God made us distinct. We are not an elevated animal. We are created in the image of God. Male and female. Now, we're going to walk through this a little bit in a few minutes, but what this also then presents to us is the real challenge of how do we interact with a culture, and how do we love a culture, and care for a culture, and care for people who are wrestling with these issues of identity. This is a really important conversation. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Now, I also want to identify the next part. God created marriage, and he defined its nature. So as we came to the end of chapter 2... God created marriage. God performed the first wedding ceremony. God performed the first wedding ceremony between Adam and Eve. So as we walk through the whole process, again, we wrestle through this in our cultural context. God created and God defined marriage. And God defined marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Now what's interesting in this whole thing, God does not define how the marriage ceremony takes place. We look at our cultures around our world and all of our various cultures define how various wedding ceremonies take place. God isn't defining the process, but he does define the nature of marriage. It's the union between a man and a woman. And you see that at the end of chapter 2. The last thing I think that really stands out as we talk about what we learn about man or mankind from day 6 is that God created a hierarchy of accountability not value. And we'll see some of this take place on, when we look next week at chapter 3, and we'll see this in other areas of Scripture as we walk through. But God identifies that Adam was created first, and God gave instruction to Adam first, instructions that Adam would then have passed on to Eve. But God created a hierarchy of accountability, but not a hierarchy of value. So, what do we learn about God from day 7? That's the second or third thing I think I'd like us to look at today. What do we learn from God about day seven? Number one, God created rest. It's a good thing. Rest is a good thing. God created, there are seven days of creation that scripture identifies. On that seventh day, God didn't make or shape or form anything else. God rested. He established the idea, the context, the framework of rest. Rest is a really good thing. Now, rest abused becomes laziness. But rest handled well recharges us, refreshes us, restores us. Here's the other thing that also stands out. God established a context and a starting point for worship. We'll see this later on, particularly in the establishing of the law, where God says, "Keep the, the, the seventh day as a holy day." Why? Because I rested on the seventh day. So, as we walk through Scripture and look at the scriptural account, we see on the scriptural account that God rested, and so that is the day that we worship. That is the day that would, they would praise. Now, here's a key question: how, do, how does all, or how did all of creation worship God on day seven? Now we don't have the conventional church services, we don't have the you don't have the conventional sacrifice systems and all the kind of stuff at that on um, day 7. So how did creation worship? Well, I think creation worshiped and all things worshiped by doing exactly what God had created them to do. On day 6, it was all very good. And so that on day 7, what did, what did creation do? It did exactly what God created it to do. The birds flew. The animals walked the ground. The, the plants grew and, 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 and reached out to the sun as the sun shined. The sun circled the earth. The moon circled the earth. The galaxy gave its light. As creation did and functioned, as God created it to function, that's how it was worshiping. and It was giving acknowledgement to its creator by doing and functioning exactly as the creator had created it to function, to do what it was doing. God created a context for worship. That all takes place on day seven. Now in this whole conversation, then another, there's an underlying question that I think comes out. Why did God give Genesis, Genesis 1-1 and then moving forward? Genesis 1-1 and on. I think it's this. I think God did this to give us a worldview in which to process existence. Now, the nation of Israel put a, kind of put your historical hat on for a little bit. The nation of Israel is being led out of Egypt at this point in time. God is establishing the nation of Israel. And God is, I believe, also at this point in time revealing and communicating to Moses. And Moses wrote the first five books of the... Of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so Moses is also in this process, writing the book of Genesis, and God is revealing and showing and communicating to him, and this is being recorded at this point in time. Why? I think there's a reason why, and I think it is to challenge and challenge the worldviews, but also to give a context for which the Jewish people could establish a worldview, a way in which to look at the world, a way in which to understand the world from God's perspective. And I think that's huge. I think it's really important for us to develop and to establish a biblical worldview. It gives us... I would say it this way, gives us kind of hooks to hang things on as we kind of understand our world. It gives us a filter through which to understand what is taking place in our world. Now, again, Genesis 1 and 3, this process that we're looking at here, it is neither exhaustive or heavy on detail, but it is also clear on who created so as I think about this whole issue of God presenting a context and a worldview framework for us to live under there's four things that I think surface and I think there are four challenges for us as we wrestle through this number one it really answers the questions of origin where do I come from all of us have wrestled with that question where do I come from what is my identity who am I so, as God is providing the answers in, in Genesis, He's answering the question of origin. Who am I? Where do I come from? What is my sense of identity? It's huge. And God is seeking to answer that question. Number two, I think it answers the question of our purpose. Why do I exist? So, I have three things here to, to highlight. Answers a question of purpose, i.e. to know, to worship, to have community and a relationship with God. Identifies purpose. This is why I'm here. I'm here to have community. I'm here to have relationship. I'm here to know and understand God. I'm here to worship God. I'm here to do the things that God created me to do. It really starts to drill down and help us to understand our purpose. Mankind was given the challenge to exercise authority over the earth. He walks through that and he identifies that. He says, I want you to have dominance over. I want you to have rule over the fish of the sea. I want you to rule over the earth. God gave us the responsibility as stewards of creation. Now again, back up for a second. This is a huge conversation that is taking place in our culture today. And I want you to understand that God was way ahead of everybody. God had entrusted creation to Adam and Eve to steward it, to care for it, to provide for it. Not to abuse it, not to neglect it, but to be good stewards of what had been created. A Christian should absolutely be a good steward of the creation that God has provided. We should not be abusing what has been provided. At the same time, creation is not God. It's not to be worshipped, but it is to be cared for. Number three, God said multiply and fill the earth. Again, we're talking about the place of family and and children and and that kind of stuff. All of this stuff is is a conversation that God is having and I think it gives us a sense of purpose and direction in what God's expectations would be for us there's a third thing that does. It introduces us to the aspects of accountability. This is huge. I think this is a huge issue, but I also think that this is one of those issues that people really struggle with, and people really question, because we don't always want to live with accountability. But, as I put here in the note, so when God speaks, this is why we are supposed to listen. The whole creation account identifies the framework of accountability and it's identifying that we are created by him, we are created for him. God has expectations for us. So when God speaks, we are supposed to listen. There's accountability. God has an expectation that we will listen as he seeks to communicate with us. Number two. So then, when God asks, we are supposed to answer. There's an expectation that we respond. There's an expectation that we will interact with the expectations of God and that we will respond to the expectations of God. There is issues of accountability. And again, as we will walk through more of Genesis, you're going to see that. You're going to see God continuing to communicate his expectations. You're going to see God continuing to communicate and reveal himself. And God's expectation is that we will both listen and we will respond. Number four. Put that fourth finger up. Number four. It explains why we live in both an amazing, but also a screwed up world. As you walk through the creation account, as you walk through the Genesis account, next week we're going to dive into this, but as we walk through Genesis, and as we start to process the worldview discussion, it explains why our world is amazing. Look, we can look around and we can see so many amazing things. And we interact with people and we find in our journey some truly amazing, amazing people. And at the same time, we look around our world and we see such ugliness. We see sometimes such evil, bad people around us. And we see that tension. We see this kind of all mixed together. So first of all, it explains the whole tension between good in evil. Genesis explains it. identifies where it's originated. It identifies where it has come from. It also introduces the reality that there is a context of, of conflict in the heavenly realms that we don't fully see, but in some ways where we are pawns in the process because the evil one seeks to manipulate us and to hurt us and to harm us. But we see the reality of a heavenly conflict between God and Satan. Number two, in this whole conversation, as we, it explains why we live in both an amazing but screwed up world. It explains the tension of how people are both good and bad at the same time. And we see this in people. We, we, will, we will sit down with people and we'll interact with people and, and we will see such wonderful, beautiful things come out of them and at the same time, at a different point, we can see some really ugly things come out of them. They're created in the image of God. They're, they're created to reflect Him. They're created to be identified with Him. And yet at the same time, they wrestle with sin. But it explains it. That The creation account explains and gives us a context of understanding to understand why people are both wonderful and can also be so horrible and terrible at the same time. And lastly, it explains the tension of when we say, there has, to be God, there has to be, or there's got to be more to this life than just this. There's got to be more than just this. It starts to answer that. God created us for more than just this. And as you start to walk through the biblical account, and as you start to listen to and process through what is taking place, it starts to give us a context. I think personally as we ask the question, why did God give us Genesis, and why did God create the book of Genesis and provide the book of Genesis both for the nation of Israel and for us, it's clear for me that God is laying the foundations for a worldview, to understand a worldview. The nation of Israel is coming out of Egypt. And part of what God is saying, listen, I want you to understand, there's not a pantheon of gods. There's one God, I created. The sun and the moon, they're not gods, and they are not the ones created. As you go into the promised land and as you interact with other people, they're going to have other worldviews. This is the worldview and this is the context I want you to understand because this is where you come from. This is who made you. It's huge. And we wrestle with those same issues in our world today. So as we walk through the beginning of Genesis, it lays a foundation for us so that we can start to understand our world and so we can start to interact with our world and to put the things that are taking place in our world in a biblical context. This is huge. And I would encourage you in our life groups this week to wrestle through this a little bit more. Now, as we started this process and as we talked about this the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to continue to look in the process. And we've started this journey and we've started this conversation in Genesis because as we are walking through this process, we are recognizing that we as individuals wrestle with trying to understand what's going on around us. And as we've talked about people that have stepped away from the faith, what's happened? Their foundations have gotten damaged. And, and so they are listening to our world and they don't understand the world. It really comes back to the very last point. Their biblical worldview, their Judeo-Christian worldview that God has given us through Genesis has gotten messed up because they have started to buy into other worldviews and other philosophies and other ideas. And they've started to take the biblical principles and set them aside. I would encourage you to come back again and look at the biblical framework. God starts to lay out and God starts to identify who we are, where we came from. It starts to identify the context of our relationship to him and his answers so many of the big questions that we are dealing with in our culture today. And I would encourage you to take the time and wrestle through what God is saying. And what are you going to call up in your life as your authority? I would encourage you to call up in your life the authority of the Word of God, to call up the authority of the Bible, and to bring yourself into accountability or into alignment with Scripture. That is the challenge we're wrestling through. God has given us His Word, and in His Word He is identifying so much of what we need to understand as we process through life as we interact with him. And I would encourage you to take that and start to wrestle with that in your own journey. You may not wrestle with some of the big things that we've talked about already in our culture today, but there'll be other areas. There'll be areas where God is saying, I want you to hear me, and you're saying, God, I don't want to listen. And God is saying, I want you to respond to me. And and you might be saying, God, I don't want to speak back because we don't want to fully live in accountability with God. I would encourage you to take the things we're looking at, to take what the Scripture is teaching, and take the time to look at the foundations of your life and the foundations of your belief system and come back and ask again, how am I lining up with what the Word of God teaches? we're around and we'd love to have a conversation with you and, a conver- and to answer questions we're going to do a little bit of that at this point in time so i'll have a word of prayer Connor will come up and we'll take a few minutes to kind of talk about a couple questions and as he said we'll harken back to our our covid days of being locked up and kind of confined to home but let's have a word of prayer then we'll shift gears Father, I want to say thank you so very much for your goodness to us. And Father, I thank you for your word. And even as we wrestle through it this morning, Father, wrestling through issues of identity, wrestling through issues of the creative nature of who we are in light of who you are and what you have done and how you have made us and fashioned us. Father, I ask that you would just guide our time in these next moments. But thank you so much for your richness and goodness to us. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, fire away. the angle good? Is the angle good?
1: I want them to get to my best side. Alright. Turn around. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so it's been a while since we've done this. I figure I'll, I'll prime the pump with just a nice, easy, light question like we do in life group. What is your biggest fear that keeps you up at night?
0: <laughs> uh, right, right now, it's been answered, would the heat work on Sunday morning? <laughs> <laughs> Mine is bears uh, What are you looking forward to in the summer? That's,
1: that's a real. Problem.
0: Oh, I don't know yet I, we, I, We're still house hunting So if we can find a house It would be fun to be in a house And kind of be making it our, our, our own So that would be kind of cool and kind of fun Maybe uh, doing some outside things Getting to the beach and getting on the water That would be kind of fun Cool Okay. So we're, we're on the Jersey Shore, so i would kind of want to enjoy a little bit of the Jersey Shore. Yeah, I think it's a little overrated, but it's, it's
1: okay.
0: <laughs> I will let you deal with that hate mail. <laughs> That's right, boo. All right, uh, real quick, uh,
1: business item. Business meeting obviously was canceled today. Do Correct. Do we have another date scheduled, or people will listen uh, for the next one?
0: I think we're going to probably look to the 13th. Thirteen. So the same day as baptism. Correct. Okay. That way we have a couple weeks to kind of catch okay, back so up. Okay. So two Sundays
1: in two Sundays, we'll have our family business meeting. Make sure you're there.
0: Okay. Let's uh,
1: let's do this first question. What does all of this in um, Genesis chapter two? What does this have to do? How does this help the Christian who might be feeling anxious, and depressed, and they're just struggling? How does this passage come alongside them?
0: Well, that's kind of a really broad question, but I'll kind of come back in some of the ways that I think, the way I process. For me, it's, it's really big because as I wrestle through all the things that are going on, knowing that God is created, knowing that God is on his throne is huge for me. Now, none of the things that took place surprised God, and none of these things um, um, caught God off guard, I would say. But God's still on his throne. And even as we will we will look at, at the at the response of God to Adam and Eve and their rebellion, we see that God already and as He's communicating them talks about the events that would take place at Calvary and, and the victory over sin, the defeat of Satan, and all all that was already in play as as God is having that conversation. So in particular as we get to chapter three as you read another, I forget the exact reference at this point, was to say that Jesus was was crucified before the creation world. That was always the end. Jesus was going to go to the cross and so I don't understand all of those pieces, so part of this conversation can come back to how does this work with people's free will versus God's sovereignty. For me, I, I, I don't know fully how to align those two things. I'll say they line up in God's mind. They don't, I don't have the gray matter to fully align all of those things, but I find comfort in the fact that God is still on his throne. He hasn't fallen off his throne. He hasn't gone on vacation. He hasn't taken a break. He's on his throne, and so I rest in the sovereignty of God, and I rest in the knowledge of God, even though I may not fully understand or comprehend. So for me, there's an anchor, I guess I would could say, in my life that I have that kind of holds me, that doesn't move. So as the tide ebbs and flows, as storms rage, there's a place that I'm still anchored that holds me fast and doesn't allow me to be swept away and kind of shipwrecked, in a sense, if that answers your question.
1: That makes sense. So again, another broad one, but you were talking about the image of God. How does that affect our day to day life okay i 'm made in the image of God. What does that mean
0: Okay, I know the difference between good and evil that 's part of the conversation. Look now he, they know the difference between good and evil, so I have a reality of choices every day, every day. Uh, I have the, the the challenge of choices that are going on around me every day. I, I I am self-aware. I am conscious of what's going on in my life. Uh, probably every day before I fully get changed, before I'm finished eating breakfast, before I'm walking out the door, I've already had many opportunities to wrestle through choices, decisions, attitudes, motives that are going on inside of me. And Am I going to choose to honor Christ? Am I going to choose to honor me? And all of that stuff goes on. Um... In image of God, I have the opportunity to know God. I have the opportunity to have a relationship with God. I think that flows directly out of the fact that I'm created in the image of God. And so we're going to, as we go on, we're going to recognize that God would meet with Adam and Eve in the evening, in the garden. And we don't. The scriptures don't tell us how long they were there, but there was a context of relationship. There was a context of community, and and that being created in the image of God gave us the context and the framework from which we could have relationship. We could have community with God. Um, now, I've, I said I've had pets my whole life, and we enjoy our dog. We like our dog. We love having our dog around, but. I can't have this conversation with Lincoln. You know, My dog's name is Lincoln, for those of you that don't know. I
1: mean, you could. You'd probably just
0: be locked <laughs> but, but, No, but Lincoln wouldn't. We, no, they, they might be. But but Lincoln's not going to answer back. He's going to wag his tail. He might bark, and he'll one maybe to jump up on my lap and have me pet him and, and keep me company. And there's maybe it can be a, a degree of companionship, a degree of companionship, but... That only goes like an inch deep, but it really doesn't... I can't can't have a conversation with Lincoln about the real deep issues of life and and purpose and meaning and significance because he doesn't understand that stuff. I think all that also flows out of being created in the image of God. Let's get
1: a little bit more specific in that real quickly. What does this idea of being made in the image of God have to do with the person that is struggling with self-image issues or is really just believing a lie? I'm a screw-up. I hate myself. Well,
0: again, I think that's also a huge issue. And we have all of this throughout our culture today because we we as a culture identify what it means to identify with. We understand that language, and that's language that really flows in the context of our culture. Um, the problem that's going on is that we are not identifying with God. We have, we have a series, I would say, a series of lies that have, we have been told. So we've been told the lie of evolution. We have been told the lies of uh, polytheism and, and all this other kind of stuff. And so we have been given all sorts of other alternatives with which to identify ourselves with. So for me, as I come back to this whole conversation, we get the chance to identify with God. And then as we start to identify with God, we also then start to understand the context of how he created us. And I think, for me, that brings me back to that anchor point. It brings me back to that point, that biblical worldview that says, this is where truth is. These other things are lies. And so it gives me the ability to focus in on those things that would be true, those things that are accurate, those things that are real, versus those things that are false. Um, False things don't provide an anchor. False things, when the storms of life rage, you know, false things, when the waters are calm, we we don't feel their falseness. We don't feel their error because we can kind of float there. We're stable for a period of time because there's nothing swirling around us. But when the tide changes, storms come, those false things don't provide an anchor that hold us secure. And so therefore our lives get carried away and get destroyed because we put our context, our hope, our faith in in a lie, and that destroys us. I also think we are created in the image of God. Therefore, there's there are things that are innate in us that we are going to wrestle through. Now, part of our sin nature is we're resisting what God has created in us because that that sin nature wants to resist, wants to rebel, and wants to push God away because we are trying to be ascended over God. We're trying to be independent from God. We're trying to make ourselves God because we and we therefore don't want to have as much of that accountability as God is expecting us to have. But when we submit to that, it gives us a context in which to understand life, to place life, and then it also gives us a pathway to find healing. So that when we are identifying with things that are out of sync with God, and we start to recognize we're identifying with things that are out of sync with God, it gives us a pathway. To wholeness. It gives us a pathway because we know, we start to understand this is, this was the starting point. Therefore, as they come back around, this should now start to be the end point for me to be whole. If I'm, am, am I making sense as I say that? Okay.
1: So this idea of we have value is kind of how we can sift through lies. We can sift through it and see that this is actually what is true. This is what God says in his word.
0: Well, it's not just value. It's a, but I think we draw value from our identity from God. I think we draw value from being created in the image of God. I think we draw value from the things he has created us to do, from the from the kind of relationship he's called us to function in. We find value in those things, but I also think we find identity in those things. And when identity starts to shift or we get confused on identity, those become kind of the the bright lights of this is where reality is, this is where the framework of who God has called us to be, so that then kind of serves as the anchoring point that we go back to to find stability.
1: And this whole idea of the image of God affects how we come to topics like abortion. We all have inherent value from the womb to the tomb.
0: Absolutely. So... A child, I would believe, and because of the fact that we're created in the image of God, a child at conception is is there and, and carries the image of God. Okay? Therefore, should we be destroying the image of God? It gives a whole conversation about the whole context of murder. It, and this identifies why murder is wrong. When you have the conversation about evolution, evolution really doesn't have a good argument as to why murder is wrong. Because... We're, what's our inherent value? We don't have inherent value. The whole idea of creating the image of God identifies the inherentness of our value. I would also come back and say that the whole image of God, so we talked about a little bit in the cosmic conversation about the, the battle between heaven and earth and, 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 and Satan and, and God and that whole thing. Well, Satan's objective is to destroy everything that God has fashioned, everything that God has created. And his interest is twisting it and distorting it so it would it's it's understandable why abortion would be pushed in a world why because we're attacking the image of God we're attacking our identity with God and we're destroying that in 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 these unborn babes that are being aborted so And again, this is also where all the issues of human trafficking would come in. This is also where the underlying values of why slavery has been perceived to be acceptable and okay. All these underlying issues all come back to the framework of thought process that some life has value versus other life does not have value. So when you start to look at people being created in the image of God, everyone intrinsically has value because we are created in the image of God, and therefore they are they are deserving and worthy of being cared for, honored, loved, nurtured in their journey.
1: So moving on to the purposes. Basically, uh, we're created with the purpose to know God, to enjoy God, make Him known, uh, exercise authority over the earth, multiply and fill the earth. Practically, how do you give advice on how to multiply and fill the earth? <laughs> I'm
0: just That's for the late night q and <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not going to be there for that one. <laughs> Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll let Connor and the youth group talk about that.
1: <laughs> for the purposes, what does this have to do with us? Like, how does this when we wake up in the morning? How does this affect how we live our life? So
0: okay, so the whole issue of stewardship. Um, so a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, drive the big car, don't care about cre- don't care about nature and all that kind of stuff." I think it's important for us to care about nature. I think we should be good stewards. Of, of creation. I think we should be intentionally looking looking at things and saying, how do we preserve the creation that God has given us? How do we protect the creation that God has given us? Now, creation isn't God. And so the goal is not to bow down at the altar of creation and therefore sacrifice people for, for creation. But I think we have a responsibility to be good stewards of what has been given. And so therefore... This is, again, part of that bigger conversation that's taking place in our culture between pollution versus progress and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's, it's a really worthwhile conversation and it's appropriate conversation for us to ask the question, how do we preserve and protect what has been entrusted into our care? So stewardship says I take care of it. Ownership says I can abuse it if I want. We don't own creation. We are stewards of creation. So I think we should take care of it, recognizing that our good care of it is a way in which we honor God and celebrate God and worship our Lord. Therefore, we shouldn't be abusing what has been given to us. Um, and figuring that out—that's that's, a—that's a huge conversation. But little things: we shouldn't litter. We should probably recycle. Uh, we 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 shouldn't we should be conscious and aware of what we're doing so that we're not neglecting or damaging what God has given us.
1: How about the purposes of knowing God, enjoying God, being in community? How does that affect us when we wake up in the morning?
0: Again, I'm not alone. I'm never alone. So... Um, God is always there with me. They're always there ready for conversation. I, you know, so when I wake up in the morning, I can, um, so Joan is right there. I can say good morning to Joan, but I should also be saying good morning to our Lord. Okay, um, he is always there. He's with me in every context of my life. I'm never alone. And therefore, I'm, isolation is a big thing that people are dealing with, and particularly in a whole world of COVID. The whole idea of isolation and the whole area of anxiety and stress is taking place in our culture today because all has taken place through, the, through this COVID environment that's been created and established. And so people are feeling isolated, people are feeling alone, people are feeling disconnected. Okay, um, God never intended for us to be I feel or be isolated. Sin seeks to isolate us. Sin seeks to say you're, you're not unique, you're not special, you're not you're 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 you're, 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 you're one of millions you're you're nothing special at all and 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 God says no you are special and not, and on top of that we are created to have relationship and community with God and so that should be something that greets us every morning and we can live in the context knowing that I am not alone I have relationship and that beginning of that relationship begins in my relationship with the Lord. Now then as we talk about the context of the church now as I have relationship with the Lord and I choose to establish and get connected in community, my connection with the Lord also then brings me into contact with others with whom I can share community. So then again I don't need to live life in isolation I don't need to live life alone alone, God has called me and created me to live in community.
1: So second to last question. In scriptures we either see the full explicit gospel, we see God pointing to what would happen in the gospel, or we see like little glimpses of the gospel, or bridges that build to the gospel. Are there those bridges or glimpses in this part of Genesis?
0: Well again, I think I would come back to the whole issue of let us, so we see the, the, the hints of the issues of of the, the trying nature of God. And, and so God sent the Son, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and then as we come to relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells us. So we see the presence of the trying nature of God working. Okay? We see Adam and Eve being created in relationship with God and created in community with God. We see that particular in chapter three as God walks in the garden. Um so we, we see God starting to lay the foundations as, I, I guess, what's the term? We, we see the Easter eggs being put in Scripture that kind of pop up at different times. And we say, oh, I see where that is. I see what that's about. It's the hints and clues. But we're also dealing with something that's progressive. Okay? We're only, we're only at the end of chapter 2. Um, of Genesis, the beginning, of the first book, we have a whole lot more to read through and process through to see more of what God is doing. And as you start to read through the the rest of what Moses wrote, and you start to read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see other aspects of what God is also revealing and also showing as the beginning communication of the redemptive, redemptive process and laying the groundwork for us to understand why we need a Redeemer, to understand the process of sacrifice and understand the, the need for a sacrifice for sin because sin has separated us and alienated us from God. God is now progressively starting to reveal himself.
1: And as we're talking about God creating mankind and us being made in his image and having his value, my mind just goes to John 1.14 now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. That God loved you so much. He, he sent his son here. who he took on flesh to die on the cross so that you can be a part of his family. That, that is how much God loves you. Christ became like us, died on the cross, and rose again. I mean, there are just great glimpses of the gospel all throughout the text.
0: But coming back, all of this is foundational. So all that we're talking about is foundational. And as we we start to... This is how I think a biblical worldview and and why I come back and I think God is starting... A a key reason why God is giving the book of Genesis and what's starting to flow is so that the nation of Israel and and us, we can now create and have a biblical worldview, a context in which to understand life, to understand our world, to understand who we are in relationship to God. Having the foundation... A clear foundation of a solid biblical worldview is huge. Because again, that's the anchor that holds us. And in, in all the things we're talking about, it starts to put things in context. It starts to help them make sense as we kind of look at the holistic picture of life and what's going on around us.
1: Last question. Right now, January of 2022, right now this moment, what are you looking forward to most about heaven?
0: Boy, I don't know. Uh, I think part of it is I'm, I'll, I'll get to see the Lord. I'll get to be with Him. I think part of it's being restored to family and, and, and those that we've loved who have gone before us. Um, I, boy, boy, that's a tough one. I don't know.
1: Right now, I'm looking forward to heaven where there will be no putting the pause on gathering together to worship God.
0: That's true. That'd be cool. No
1: pauses. I, well, thank you. So I figured we'll pray, and as we were praying, I, I was reading today, um, it's, it's important to think about other Christians um, around the world, and uh, reading today that, depending on how things go in Ukraine, um, the church will have to go underground uh, for the foreseeable future. So as we think about today, us not being able to gather, there are Christians around the world who aren't able to gather, not out of weather reasons, but out of threats and danger, uh, so we could be thinking of them as we pray. So I figure I'll just pray. Last string will be done. You can go have lunch or play in the snow or whatever you're going to do. Anything else?
0: Nope. If they have questions, feel free to, to email us through the website and we'll follow up.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for everyone here and everyone watching online. I thank you. Oh, it seems like you've, you've kept everyone in our church safe and healthy despite the storm. Lord, I pray that this week you'll put a hunger in our hearts to gather together again next Sunday and worship you as a body. And I pray, Lord, that throughout the week we'll be worshiping you and thinking about you and reflecting on things said this morning. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters all over the world, like those brothers and sisters in Ukraine who probably feeling very anxious and uncertain about what's going to happen to them and and their local gatherings. And I I pray, God, that you will be supernaturally working. I pray you will bring peace to the whole Ukraine-Russia issue. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign, where even if those churches have to go underground, Lord, I am sure that you will make their faith, and their witness even stronger. And I pray you'll do that in us, that we will not be comfortable here, God, because our home is with you. And there is no putting a pause on worshiping you together. Lord, I, I pray you will be working, and I thank you, God. Jesus, I, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.